He likes to tell you if anyone will listen about his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace. Now it's a long shot. Let's not mess about. No big intro. You've heard part one. Hopefully you enjoyed part two just as much. Great insight once again. This is Neil Taylor. It's strange how things happen with clubs because I had an experience going banger to Swansea and my contract had run out. But as soon as they realised there was interest from Swansea, they were on the phone trying to get me to sign a contract so that they could backdate it so that they could get a fee. You know, they want to look after themselves, of course, but in that situation, you're thinking, I'm not, I'm not jeopardising my future yeah. for, for something, mm. you know, something that's wrong, really. Yeah. It's, but it's not a nice feeling either. No, and we had that at Wrexham, and then it got to the point where Wrexham were like, for Swansea, I, I was lucky. Between that time of January and the summer, I was still playing for the under-21 to Brian Flint. So we played Italy at the Liberty Stadium. And like that, that's the first time I'll admit I actually had a good game, like a really good game, where I thought I played well there. Yeah. And Alan Curtis had seen it, and he was like, we should bring him to Swansea. So it just developed that summer. I literally had no idea what was going to happen that summer. I might have fell out of football, for all I know. I mean, as a footballer, that's what you think, isn't it? The worst thing, like, is the team going to want me, all that stuff? But luckily, playing for Wales saved me at the time. And so I went there that summer, and it ended up being a fee of 150 grand by tribunal. And it worked out well. And it was at a time when Swansea done a lot of that. Like Ashley Williams was 400 grand. Angel Rangel paid himself to come to the club. All yeah. them stories. Um, Leon Britton. Everybody was next to nothing. Monks. So they, they had a great period there. And a lot of us went on to obviously for more money for them. And it worked out well. So I went there then. And I'd been with my wife then a couple of years. And we just decided to move down. I was lucky. She was like, yeah, I'm up for it. Let's go. We'll move. So we, we had everything we owned in the back of the Astra. Drove down to Swansea. Um, took a flat and that was it. We were like, we're living by the sea, we loved it. And it just went from there really at Swansea. And part of a good period in the, cl you know, in the club's history, championship football, getting up to the Premier League, um, but soon into the Premier League, break your leg? Um, Did you have a bad injury? Or yeah, so that was second year in the Premier League. Okay, so we so got, you had the we first got promoted, got promoted, played a year in the Prem, played the Olympics that summer, Okay. come back under Laudrup. We were, by the time I broke my leg, we were top of the league in the Prem, three games in. We had like a plus nine or plus ten goal difference. Do you think you would have won the league if you hadn't got There's injured? a clip of me 
There's a clip of me after the first home game where we beat QPR 5-0 first game of the season. Yeah. So when Michu come onto the scene. And then we played the next game and we won. There's a clip of me like you know on the tunnel cam and whatever, shouting we're gonna win the league. Yeah. The second game into the season, because I knew we were top. The third game broke my leg. And that's football, that's completely football for you. It's just the way that is how football works. You go up there and then it'll just bring you down like that straight away. Um, and there was still life obviously in your Swansea career. By the yeah. time you'd come back, Ben had broken into the team, Ben Davis. So that's Swansea and Wales. Did you see, was Ben training with you boys at the time? Or was no, the so jump, I think the jump ben, was massive for him. Ben went to pre-season whilst I was at the Olympics. I missed the whole pre-season because I was at the Olympics. And I know a couple of lads have said he's done, he's done all right there, to yeah. be honest. But he, I, don't, I don't even know if he was due to come with the first team because I just wasn't there pre-season. Yeah. Otherwise, he might not have even travelled. And I've got to be honest, that is how your chances come in football. I moved to Swansea and Fede Bissoni was a left-back. And he happened to leave for Leeds that summer for like a minimal amount of money extra because he wanted to get paid more. And he's a lovely lad, Fede. Yeah, but you, look, suddenly, you look like Fede. Same nose. That's, that's harsh, that. <laughs> I have got a bad nose. There's a group of us, of mates of us, that have got bad noses, but his was... <laughs> Another level. His would be on grandstand on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, on the ski on. slope. But he... Um, so he left and the left-back spot was open. Yeah. So I was just lucky that summer that it was open. Otherwise, if they left back there, I might not have never played. So you just you get them lucky moments in life, and it's whether you take them. Mm. And Ben's got the personality, and he's a good lad, and he's still a good lad, where he takes his chance. And I think, um, so then I come back from injury, and then we were sort of both vying for a place, and it went to pre-season, we are both sort of vying for a place. I'm trying to think what happened. What happened the following year? I think Ben left soon after that, actually. Yeah, I think Ben pretty much left. So the, yeah, the, the season... The season they won the cup was the season I was injured. You never had... I don't think you ever have had a direct com competition, you or Ben, have you? Because he would have played when you were injured. By he the time played you when came I was back, injured. Left, and then I Wales, came back, he left that summer. Wales have generally gone with the three at the back. And Wales have gone with, gone with the three at the back, yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, so it worked out okay, I think, really, um, for both of us. And I think Ben's obviously, and Ben is, and I see it with even people like Danny Rose. I played with Danny Rose at the Olympics. And when you get to play under, like I did with Brendan, the reason I stayed with him, somebody that makes you even even better player. Yeah. You can see Pochettino does that now. Look at Harry Kane. Every single player that plays under Pochettino gets better. I think that's a sign of the best managers. Brendan was the same. Look how he brought on Sterling and people like that. Um, how Joey, Joey Allen obviously got on with him at Swansea and got better and better. Okay. Um, and I think Ben and everybody at Tottenham has benefited from that. And, and he's kicked on and done well as well. And obviously, touch word, he's not experienced I think injuries are a massive part in people's careers, obviously, and the timing. You touched on something there, a controversial topic to a lot of people, especially back home in Wales, playing for the um, Great Britain team in the Olympics. Were you aware that there would be issues? Is it a decision you, if you had the opportunity again, that you would do again? Yep. It's still, I mean, I speak to Mika Richards now, and you think he's won like Premier League so far. He was like, best summer I had at like, the Olympics. It was brilliant, and you know, like we had at the Euros. Yeah. Not to that level. But that was his. But Euros. Yeah, that, and I played in that, and I was like, wow, this tournament football stuff's brilliant. It's yeah. unbelievable. The euphoria. And the difference for us was the whole stadium was cheering for us, like because it's in Great Britain. It's not like there's an away team and a home team. Like the whole stadium's for us. We played at, we played at Millennium Stadium with the roof closed. We played at Wembley. Played at Old Trafford, like unbelievable games, and it was like. I do it all over again. I think we were unfortunate. I think maybe, obviously, Baylor might have pulled out of that one because of the yeah. issues that were coming up with um, 
with him being with, so high profile with him being so because high the argument the argument against it would be Wales being an independent football nation that playing for Great Britain jeopardises that but I, I would put myself in your shoe I'm a proud Welshman as, as are you if I was still playing and I was given the opportunity I'd probably take it from a selfish point of view because you want different experiences. But you know what we did? So we said to them, this, they were scared of the fact that they could eventually become a GB team yeah. altogether. And Scotland didn't want that. That's why there were no Scottish players. Scotland didn't want that Ireland in Wales. We were told under no circumstances that this was a one-off for the Olympics that was in London. That's it. There won't be another team at the next Olympics or the after that or anything. So we were told that. So we worked on the pretense that, listen, this is a once and we're part of history here. And you also... We'll be in, we'll, you can time. be called an Olympian, for God's sake. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's like... Yeah, it's true. It's, it's incredible. Point. And also, at that time, you you maybe would have thought this is might be my only opportunity to play tournament. 100%. Tournament for 100%, yeah. 100%. It didn't, it, I did, honestly, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think twice about the whole Wales thing. Like, I knew we'd been told, me, Joe, Bellas, and, and we're talking about people like Bellas here, who's massively patriotic. Uh, he would Giggsy. have done his due diligence. Gigsy. These are people I think I'm looking at, if they're doing it, we'll be okay. Do you know what I mean? I'm Neil Taylor, I'm not going to cause shockwaves. So it's like, yeah, so we checked all that out and they were like, listen, it's a one off thing and that's it. Stuart Pierce came down to the training ground, watched us train a couple of times, come to our games to watch us, and obviously picked me and Joe and Stephen Corker from Swansea at the time to be part of the setup. Were you staying in the Olympic Village? So we stayed there for a weekend, but we were kept out of there mainly because our games would be in different places, we'd have to stay wherever the games were. Um, we'd done like a mini pre-season in Marbella before it. Yeah. Stuart Pearce was still out running all of us. Was he? With his massive calves. Relax, psycho. Uh, honestly, brilliant he was. Before, um, we, before we move on to Wales, um, leaving Swansea, I just, you know, as we're talking now, did you feel, this, this is, when I left Swansea, I felt I was starting to become the scapegoat that would get not even blamed after games, you know, Swansea as a club, while I was out injured, had progressed under Roberto mm. and moved on to a different level to what I was capable of at the time. And I felt, I feel there's always a scapegoat in a team. And when I did play, I was becoming that guy. Yeah. So from a good relationship with fans to then them seeing I wasn't quite on the level of the other boys and thought, I've got to get out. Did you feel that? Because I work on games down at Swansea and there was, I don't know if it's a high expectation of you, whether you'd played particularly well, but it was starting to turn. Mm. Is that something you're aware of? Or have um, I stitched you up now and made you think, oh, No, 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 honestly, hell. there were people... So I'm not on social media, so I've never seen any of it. I'm not somebody to, like... I'll listen, like I said, I'll listen to podcasts, but I'm not somebody that indulges myself in the news about football. Um, if people would tell me sometimes, like, your player ratings in the post and the paper and stuff like that. I never listened to any of it. I wasn't on social media, so I never picked up any of it, that side of it. But then some people would tell me you know, close friends in Swansea who were like, which you don't want to know. You're becoming a scapegoat a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Um, and and even people like the same people who I knew then tell me who's the scapegoat now and who was getting the. You know, they were like they were telling me when Ash got booed when he played there for Everton. I was thinking, well, if Ash gets booed yeah. playing for Everton there because he made one tackle or something, they were booing him because he left for money or whatever. I was thinking, well, then nobody's safe because he he gave the most service he could. It's only probably Leon who stayed there. Even Leon jumped ship he six months. He jumped ship for yeah, money. Of course he did. So I think um, it's only like um, people like that of that status um, get away with it. Otherwise, I think it will it will forever happen at every football club because fans. And sometimes you know what, fans just want new people. Yeah. They want fresh blood every year. Uh, they want to see a signing. They yeah. want to see new people. Similar to your old news now. There's no point in it. Similar to players wanting 
not wanting, but a new a manager generally two, three years, yeah. and then the players need to change. Yeah. Same so, with fans. Isn't so it? everyone complains like, oh, you know, no stability in football anymore. The fans are the main reason, and that, their patience goes the same as Arsenal's because of social media, because of twenty-four hour Sky Sports news, everything like that is feeding them stuff. You know, oh look, Sunderland are buying there. Why aren't we buying players in mm. X, Y, and Z? And it's just a complete rush in football. There's no patience anymore. And, and that's why I don't know whether managers now plan like six month cycles to would you be a manager now and go in and, and actually go and watch the youth team play on a Saturday morning yeah. in case one of them's going to play in six months a year's time you wouldn't would you there's any point because it's just the patience ain't there anymore but then if a young lad comes through I remember coming through as a young lad and they loved me then when I was playing the same way they loved Ben the same way they loved Joey and still love Joey um, because obviously he went to Liverpool and that's, that's the jump that no one's going to turn down to be fair um, and he was a good player that helps compared to me and I think um, yeah so stuff like that really I think the football will always be the same it'll never change but I'm just lucky that the thick skin wise I don't really care too much um, if people are criticising me because I know when I'm not playing well yeah. if anyone knows they're not playing well it's me so even if other people um, think the same so part of the Swansea revolution the Welsh one is uh, probably uh, not a more well told story but you know in terms of public eyes on it the last few years have been amazing and to be a part of that a big part of that has been something that you didn't think was possible probably at the start of your Wales career no um, I obviously started off in the Toshak era people dropping out doing all these sorts of things not turning up for camps players playing all the way in the games and suddenly they're injured for international duties people dropping out and, and understandably sometimes I mean I would never do it but I could see what people did um, because of like long camps stuck in the Vale of the Morgan Hotel with no phone signal no Wi-Fi and it's just like you know you're playing Lithuania in a friendly away no one turns up just it, it was crap do you know what I mean um, I would I, I mean I've played all them games and I still do it all over again but I can understand why people dropped out um, and and then it was just under Gary Speed he changed everything completely changed the whole setup he said right we're going to make this like club football day today so you're going to have your free time outside of training you can do, do whatever you want it's not you're not in jail do you know what I mean? You're growing adults, I trust you. Little barbecues for the family and, and things, yeah? Little things like that. Uh, the family can come in. Um, and then obviously, what happened happened very sadly. But the, 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 you know, the right stuff was put in place. What, what do you remember at that time, finding out? Uh, we played we play Villa. I remember. So we played day. Villa. Um, and we were in the changing room. And me and Ash have always sat next to each other because number three and four, three and five or whatever. And we're just getting ready. And I think it was Brendan. Brendan come over to us both and said, can I speak to you? And he took us aside to another room and just said, oh, this is this news about Gary Speed. And we think it's it's been confirmed. I think it's not, no, it's not you know, one of them hoaxes. We're a bit like, well, is anyone sure? Mm. Anyone that knows it's been confirmed? Obviously, Shay Gibbons in the other changing room. So he was in tears, being a big friend of his and stuff. Um, we held a minute silence think, before the game and I remember Shay Gibbons crying the game ended nil nil nothing game nobody tackled each other no one had a shot on goal because the whole the whole stadium was subdued weirdest game I'll have ever played in I think Weird, it was just obviously because of the circumstances but normally in the game you, you're almost in, in the zone what were you do you remember your thoughts playing the game yeah but because the game is that subdued mate you could still think about it like yeah. you know what footballers say once we start playing and that everything goes out of your head 
but it wasn't. It was like the whole stadium was in shock. No one just had constantly any, asking what the fuck. Yeah, no one had any energy about him the whole day. Do you know what I mean? That included their players because he was our manager. He'd been on match of the day like before we'd seen, and then suddenly like, and I'm you know, I've never come across anything like that in my life really, where I've had to deal with something like that. Whereas someone's committed suicide, a friend or something like how, that. How did you deal with it in the in the weeks that followed then, in terms of the the squad and you boys staying in touch? I don't know, like. What do you say? Even we talk about it here, I'm not sure what to say in terms of, we don't know why. Um, we now know more these days about mental illness and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it still doesn't add up when you work out what type of character he is. But then now we know more about mental illness, we know that doesn't matter. Yeah. It can happen to anybody. So, I don't know, but it was complete shock. And it was like, but the worst thing is as well, is selfishly, you're thinking, we were onto a good thing here. Yeah. Like we turned stuff around under him. And everyone's fear was a little bit like, I can't <clears> believe he's lost his life. And then as the months went on down the line, it was like, where do we go from here? Because you then, you don't go back to the dark days, if you like, the early ones yeah. under, under Chris Coleman. That was the fear, yeah. Some shocking results. Were you in that dressing room thinking, for God's sake, look how close we were. Yeah. We'll never get back to that. Yeah, 100%. You were just thinking that. And then, um, and then luckily, Chris Coleman found a formation that completely worked for the team. Um, Gareth McGill had become pretty good which helped at the same time he's alright yeah. um, he kicked on a little bit um, and it just it just went from there really and I think with the right staff in place all, all the lads knew each other we've been together for years um, and it just clicked and with getting results brings belief yeah. and that was it then and, and I look at Portugal now and I think the same thing as long as you've got that guided team mm. that you know can do something the other team fears it and you know you've got it so it's a case of how well can you be defensively? How organised can you be? How good can you be at getting the ball to him and Aaron Ramsey in the right areas of the pitch? And that will, that's what we were focused on. And it worked. Brilliant brilliant campaign to get to the Euros. Um, but then being there must have been amazing. You've, yeah. done, you've done, even your taste of tournament football was in the UK. So France is not far away, but it's still proper. You play that game in Sweden, bit of a nothing friendly. Yeah and then make the journey over to, to, to France. The preparation for that first game was, what was your thinking? Well, we played Sweden and we were crap. We were really bad. And we were like... Um, were you worried? Because yeah. there was a couple of injury scares as well. How, a couple of Joey? injury scares. We were crap. And I remember, this is vintage Chris Coleman, like after we played the game, we were at the airport and like Chesie and Ash walked around the corner. And he went, oh, Chesie and Ash have turned up, everyone. They're coming on the trip now. <laughs> they just played the game. He said, don't fear. He said, Doc. Doc Ash and Chesney are in, I'll make sure you give him a screen. <laughs> Where have you been, boys, yeah. yeah? So he just made light of the loss and that, do you know what I mean? He kept spirits high. Class. And he, he, and he done the right thing, do you know what I mean? Because he was just taking the piss. We were all really bad. But then it turns out Sweden had a horrendous Euros. Yeah. And they looked really good with Zlatan and that. And we had a, an amazing one. Tell, so it doesn't matter. Talk to me about Chris Coleman then, because I, I was in a handful of squads with him. Maybe not even that. And I would do anything for that man. Yeah. Right? But for you, a huge part of that, not just the squad, the team, his impact, I sometimes think he doesn't quite get the credit he deserves no. um, for what he did. People are quite blasé about it. Uh, you know, he. I don't know, I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves. No, he doesn't, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, well, hopefully he does. I mean, he's now got his job in China, which hopefully is, is giving him the financial reward that he deserves for the work he's done as a manager for years and years. But those team talks, how, yeah. how he got his the best man, His man management and his motivation in, in my eyes, and, and Steve Bruce is not too dissimilar now, where all the tactical stuff, he's involved in it, but 
you know the coaches below him are doing the big core of that and how we should play and analysing the other teams and he'll be involved as well but the most crucial part is motivating your players yeah. and getting them on side and and that's keeping everyone happy including the players that aren't playing because 23 have got to go to the Euros a lot of them won't kick a football and be without their family for six weeks how do I keep them happy and it hurts me to say this but I see Gareth Southgate now doing it with the England team yeah. and I can see the difference that they're having um, I think they've the loads playing. from Wales in the Euros yeah exactly I hope they have I hope they have and I think um, and I think his motivation I remember before the first game he had had a video montage put together with all the players wives and kids saying good luck we love you we miss you go out there do your best and that was from each player's family come up on the screen so obviously everyone's a little bit well so sort of teary motivated everything all the emotions and I think um, that kicked us off really and he just his one his, his one mantra was just don't have any regrets and I know it's easy to say but for us being small little whales and hearing it from him he just had a yeah. way in his delivery didn't yeah. he and I can, honestly, I can see the same thing in Gareth Southgate now. He plays everything down. He takes all the pressure on himself, which is what Brendan Rodgers used to say. He said, listen, I'll go face the press. I'll take all the blame for this result myself. But just while we're in-house here, you lot need to know you need to do better. But he, he, he'd tell us, I'll go out to the press. It's my fault. Everything's my fault. I'll take the heat and you lot go and play. And that's exactly what the best managers do. And Chris Coleman did the same thing. He was like, I'll go out there. I'll defend you. Even after my tackling in Thailand, he went out and defended me. He'd defend anybody. Um, and in return, like you said, you'd die for him, you'd do anything. We'd run through brick walls, we'd do anything to make him, you know, get the credit he deserved as a manager. You, want, think, you wanted to impress him. Wanted you to want, impress yeah. him. You wanted to impress him. And, on, and then on a human level, he'd always ask how your kids are, your wife is, how your family's doing, everything all right. You'd get texts now and again, that sort of thing. Just the tiny little things that maybe people don't think matters a lot, but it matters a lot. He was the first person to visit me when I broke my leg in hospital. So after my family, he was the first coach that came to visit me in hospital to see if I was all right. He'd obviously went through a horrendous trauma himself yeah. with the car crash and everything. So we knew, he knew what the rehabilitation would be like. His was even worse than mine. But just them words, people sometimes don't realise how much they help. I remember Jack Grealish this season got that injury where he, you know, he potentially could have died, he was saying, where he, he punctured the liver, I think it was, or the kidney. Right. And he went to hospital and he, you know, Steve Bruce visited <clears> him and, you know, Bruce, he FaceTimed him a couple of times. And the amount that that meant to him, you know, probably the manager doesn't realise, but to him, that means a lot. And, and in, t in return, he probably got the best Jack Grealish we've ever seen for the season. So it works. The best managers do it. And I think um, I was devastated what happened at Sunderland with him. Um, I was hoping he could go there and do the same as what he'd done for us. Yeah. And he probably, his belief in his own ability and everything, probably thought he could. But unfortunately, that club was a bit of a poison chalice for anybody that walked in there. But in terms of that summer, you, you tell me then, Tails, that at the start, let's not get into the Russia one just yet. First couple of games, highs and lows, that Slovakia one, the lads have spoke about um, the national anthem, that feeling that you had, and then the flip side, the England game, tough time, Kyle Walker, fucking hell, he had the burners on that day. Oh, yeah. You know, so up and yeah. down, just in those two games. I mean, literally, so we played Slovakia, um, it's one of only a couple of times where I've literally the hair stand up on the back of my neck when the anthem goes. Yeah. Like literally, I get like that shivery cold feeling. You know when you, like, you think like you've seen a ghost or something stupid like that, a cold shivery feeling? Like I got that during the anthem. And to be fair, from then onwards, every time I heard the anthem in games, I would get the same feeling. Just, I think, from remembering, remembering it in the stadium. Um, I think we had the one cleared off the line by Ben early doors. Mm. They started like a house on fire. Oh we God. were like, shit. Um, I think I, em I emptied Hamsick in a tackle, which helped me settle down about 10 minutes in. Yeah. 
um, which I think settled everyone down a bit and thought a little bit because his face literally hit the turf as I tackled him, which was nice. And that was me sort of settled into the game a bit. And then we just started to play a bit. Um, and then that man again, doesn't he, steps up and delivers. Well, the keeper helped us a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the thing with us is, if we got ahead in a game, we backed ourselves 100% if we got ahead in a game. Because I don't think, I think we conceded two goals in the qualifying campaign, and that was set pieces. And didn't score many. Yeah, exactly. And I just think, we just backed ourselves. As soon as we went one up, we thought, we've got this. And don't get me wrong, it was hard, hard work. Um, but once we got through that, our feet were under the table, we thought, well, you win the first game, it's massive. But then the build-up to England game was like nothing you've ever experienced before. It was, it was carnage, it was ridiculous. Um, Atmosphere like an away game, quite a powerful England crowd, wasn't it? It was the whole, the whole stadium was England crowd, I don't understand why, but it was, the whole stadium was England. It was boiling hot midday in the north of France. Um, you've got all the drama of doing media that week, You've got all the drama of sort of friends, tickets out, flights, because that was one of the main things for the Auras for the lads, was like other family getting there on time and they looked after it in hotels, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because obviously as a nation, we're not used to organising this stuff. Yeah. So we're just off the cuff. Uh, we, I think we use like Gulliver's Travel, that normally do rugby tours for like all the piss heads and that, brilliant. But so we had all them worries before every game and stuff, but the manager always made sure the lads got that certain early, early, early doors of the week. And then the England build that was yeah, it was carnage, the amount of stuff going on and the amount of build-up and everything. Um, and then the game was probably a bit of an anti-climax, really. Um, but I'll never, I'll never forget, honestly, Gary Neville running down that touchline when they scored and just thinking, we have got to get out of this group. We've got to beat Russia to finish yeah. top of this group. Why, yeah. why him, though? Do you why, know why? Because why his face? No, because it was just him running down there. It was all their players around, that's fair enough. But then... I think I don't, I'm not sure if he had a nibble up at Gareth when Gaz said I wouldn't take any of their players yeah. in our eleven, which obviously is going to say what people yeah. are expecting. I think he, he might have had a little nibble to that. He just got caught up. Which is prone to the rivalry. He got caught up for it. And let's be honest, if I was here in the same position, I'd probably done the same thing. Yeah. But I remember seeing it and thinking, ah, oh, that's hurt me a lot, um, especially the way the game went. Did they deserve to beat us? Probably, yeah, they did. Are they the better team on paper? Yeah. Should they beat us if it was any other day of the week? Probably, yeah, okay, so fine. But then we knew going into the third game then, we have to qualify. Um, and I think, honestly, the videos that come out later, obviously, when England lost to Iceland or whatever, was probably an accumulation of that game and how it yeah. ended and everything like that. I mean, I know they, they sent me and Guns out to do the press conference for that, after that video come out, because we were pretty... I obviously threw the Beyonce shout out, tried to bat it off and, yeah. and, and try and say, oh, we're shouting for the underdogs, blah, blah, blah. But obviously... You know, it was an accumulation of how that game ended and how we lost it. It's probably why the celebrations were how they were. And then playing against Russia, who weren't brilliant, but Wales really were. Like, the Belgium one is the best Wales performance I've ever seen, if you take into account yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the opponents, how they started. My God. I couldn't, couldn't breathe. Oh, my God. Couldn't breathe. But the Russia one was almost perfection, Yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And then you fucking score. Perfection, so you know that's what you mean something's up here. What is going on here? These Russian players have definitely took a couple of bungs. So usually they're on the drugs. I think a couple of them died since. <laughs> usually they're on the Putin. steroids to cheat that way. But against Wales, there must have been bungs for you to find yourself in that position. Mate. Now, honestly, right. So we, we looked at the clips of the, England, of the England game that week 
and we looked at it and we were so disappointed in how we played. Yeah. We didn't play what's where we were too scared, too caught up in the emotion Respected to make that one extra pass to get out of the pressure. Yeah. We were just going long and we weren't playing how we've always played. So he just basically says, if you're going to lose tomorrow and die and go out of this competition, Cookie said, then go out playing our way. Play at all costs, play total football and you will beat this team. We're yeah. telling you, we've analysed them and you will beat this team comfortably. But, you know, die on the sword basically is what you'd be saying. So we, we went out there and played and they were on a high press like I've never seen before. And when they won the ball back, they committed everybody forward. And I remember thinking, we were comfortable in a back five, three in front of us. We were thinking, we'll be all right here, we're fine. And then we had a couple on the break and I was thinking, you can't leave Gaz and Rambo on Did the break like this, surely. Oh, we'll just like, leave those two I spare. I couldn't believe it, honestly. I was thinking, are they serious here? We, every time we run the ball back, we were like, we're going to be in. It's outrageous. We'll be in. Like, come on, you must have an analyst. <laughs> You must have an analyst within your ranks oh to recognise we've got one half decent player who can run really quick. So anyway, they obviously didn't analyse me. <laughs> <laughs> and then late runs from a defender's toe poke. Not, not many would, mate. So, and then, and I, yeah, so obviously the goal's the goal. And I remember Chris Gunter and, and the gaffer saying after the game that Chris Gunter said to, we took it, taking a throw and he said to Cookie, enjoy this game, gaffer. I think we were 3-0 up at the time, 75th minute or whatever. He's going, these games don't come along very often. I think we stroked the ball around about 60 passes in the last 10 minutes of the game. They couldn't get near us, one it was, touch. It was everything, wasn't it? The stadium was beautiful. The stadium the was beautiful. It was frightening. It Amazing. was frightening. And, and that's what I mean by the euphoria after the Euros. I was thinking, how can I get that again in football? Do you know what I mean? That euphoria. Yeah. Which is why I tried, you know, move, the, move to Villa and try and get that buzz. But I think, yeah, and obviously I scored and it was... So I get to set loads of stuff after because obviously I don't think Ronaldo had scored yet in the competition. Okay. So it was like Neil Taylor won. Ronaldo nil. Yeah. You know what I mean, like the, the race for the golden boot. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and I was just, there was some really funny stuff coming out. That funny videos. Cookie played the, the video of me scoring to the whole team the next day. Yeah. Everyone's laughing because of my celebration. Quality. Because I don't know what to do. I've never seen a face like it. Like I don't know what to do. Like I've looked. I'm thinking offside. Anything? Is there anything coming? Like I'm looking for the ref. Where's he in yellow? And then I just started laughing. Yeah. And I've just slid on my knees because that's what you're meant to do, I think. Um, it was just funny, mate. Yeah. Class. But then. Because you pumped Russia, people then thought how easy it was going to be against Northern Ireland. And I'm thinking, oh. no, they are the complete opposite Worst to Russia. Game in the history of the Euros. Oh, horrible team Worst to play game against. In the history and you, of the you, you must have known that's what it was going to be. That was a horrible game, then. I didn't realise it was going to be that horrible. But again, like we got to play in the park, the Princess, amazing stadium, yeah. amazing change rooms, and then Wales and Ireland. It was in Northern Ireland playing on it yeah. on a dry pitch and it was just horrendous. Literally, they played the same formation as us. I think it was me and Aaron Hughes were even talking to each other during the game. Like, I stood next to him, cancelling him out, and he stood next to me, cancelling him out. We couldn't get away from each other. And it was like that all over the park. And it was messy and horrible. And luckily, that man, again, whips a great ball in. Unfortunately for McCauley. Uh, I just do feel sorry for him, because I know what I sort of can feel like if... Nah. You become, you become, nah. the, you become the villain. Cheers, lad. Now, yeah, now when I think about it, at the time I didn't even know who'd done it. And and do you know when they go in though, you start to think maybe something's happening. Here. Yeah. Because why on earth has that gone in for us? Why has a cross been turned in by the other team in the 90th minute? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, that had penalties written all over it, all over it. That game, it was terrible. Um, even the crowd was subdued. It was that bad that game. Because people were scared of getting knocked out by Northern Ireland and thinking what an anti-climax it would be yeah. in, in terms of the competition. This is how rich this area is, Tails. The bin men go around twice a day, mate. You get your bins emptied twice a day. We've seen them, they wear Gucci trainers. They're not messing about here. <laughs> <laughs> the Belgium game then, it's got to be the pinnacle. Yeah, it's the pinnacle. So, 
if there's one team we don't mind playing out in the big lot, it's Belgium. Mm. And the problem was, is they knew that as well. And I remember I went to Sardinia straight after the Euros and seen Ed, Ed and Hazard there. Yeah. And Ash had gone to Sardinia the week before I went and seen him there as well. So he's just been there for a couple of weeks. And he said, I spoke to him a little bit. Ash said when he spoke to him, he said, he said basically as soon as they seen they had Wales, they were like, I think we're finished. We're done. We're finished in the competition. That's Belgium we're talking about. Mm. Look at the players they've got in a team. And even they were going, no, not Wales. Do you know what I mean? Like we are their one bogey team. We've gone over there. Do you remember the draw we got there away? Yeah. When they I remember they'd qualify for the World Cup, was it? I was in the squad for the one one, yeah. Where Yeah. And we had nobody travel with us. And I think Ash was there. Ramsey scored. Aaron, yeah. yeah Ash weren't there, uh, none of our strikers were there, Baylor weren't there, Joe weren't there. We had none of our big hitters playing. And literally we deserved the draw. Yeah. Um we beat them obviously at home. Nil nil um, then in that campaign over there. Nil nil in the campaign. Yeah. So they they couldn't beat us. They couldn't beat us. But don't get me wrong, we still realise the players they've got, if they want to be, they'll, they'll sweep you off the park as easy as you want. What's your, what's your thoughts at the end of that game? I, I remember looking on, because we'd be in a box um, at every ground. I remember seeing you boys, right, and I thought, I thought you were, like, energy-wise, that must have taken so much out of you. That, that tournament up to that point, doing brilliant. Yeah. But that game in particular, emotionally and physically, a couple of you boys were like lying on the ground thinking yeah. it's going to be tough even though it's a semi-final coming up yeah it took a lot out of you it took it took a lot out of us mate um it did and obviously as a game like you said i've never seen us play that well before i should have scored again um good save by quarter that would have brought it was one nil down then yeah so I that would have brought us thinking that was the chance like yeah Ash scored a couple of minutes later and luckily we were all right nagan golan puts in a top corner from like 80 yards out or wherever it was you're thinking, oh, you know, this might be the end of the road. That's the best we played after that. Mm. They couldn't get near us. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, um, I think we showed great personality there. Honestly, I think we, that's where we really showed as a team, like our personality, to not go under. Um, and it did take us out of us. And when I look at the end of the Portugal game and how tired we were, even the last 20 minutes, where you want to be pushing for that equaliser, we just ran out of steam. Um, Portugal were ridiculously good defensively. When have Portugal ever been that goodly organised? Yeah. But they were literally, let's see if Ronaldo can do something. And he did, he jumped 20 foot in the air to head it over Chesney, who can also jump 20 foot in the air. Impossible to stop that, Impossible. that header. Impossible. I turned around, because I was out for the corner, for the short corner. Right. So I took, as soon as he hit it and I turned around, my first, my first thought was, this is gonna go out the back for a throw. Yeah. It was that big above everyone. And then he, I just seen him leap above everything. And you know, it's unbelievable, mate. And you just gotta take, yeah, your hat off sometimes to somebody that's been able to do that I think Gaz Gaz kept trying to go he was almost like a one-man band for the last yeah. 50 minutes trying everything shooting from 50 yards but even he had sort of blown out a little bit in tiredness and we come to the end mate and I think uh, I'm glad they ended up winning it anyway the team that we lost to ended up winning it that makes me feel a bit better Open Top Bus um, you've spoke about the struggle after that that summer you know to get any sort of normality back to your football life anyway um, and then the next campaign just falling short so was there a little bit of the hangover from the Euros I, I still say to people we're still so close towards no, the end I, I, honest, I can honestly say we didn't have the whole team fit throughout the whole campaign like we did the previous one we needed everybody fit and available every game of the campaign to qualify like we did the, the time before we didn't have it this time you know, I think we missed Gaz for a couple, we missed Rambo for injury for a couple, Joe, every single one of us missed a campaign or two yeah. through not being there. 
and in the end it hurt us and that's that's kind of suspected and still I mean Ireland that home game we're all over them and then they scored a sucker punch or whatever and it just Joe Joe going off is a big impact as well isn't it yeah yeah he was yeah he was running the game at that point as well and obviously concussion rules are what they are um, but that was a massive impact and you, sh- you just started to think you know what maybe it's just not happening it just didn't work out for us we had enough and we'd had enough goes at it as well yeah it is what it is I guess go on then Tails you've, you've touched on it a couple of times the tackle over an island I don't, I don't know if you spoke about it since um, um, yeah, yeah you know your thoughts at the time it's, it's something that happens in a game mm. of course but the injury to Coleman happens and then you know did you feel you're not on social media so it you know, it helps the abuse afterwards. But you know what? I'm not on social media, but I remember getting a text off my wife saying, "Do not go on the news on social media." Well, so I knew it was bad. Well, but I sent you a screenshot of um, the other Neil Taylor, who's just getting loads. Who's getting hammered? There's another on guy called Neil Taylor getting on Twitter, hammered, just yeah. getting abused. Yeah. And again, like I said, right? Honestly, abuse doesn't bother me. Like, apparently, my wife was telling me I was getting death threats after the Tadic one as well. You know when. Tadic's nose was broke because yeah. I went to volley the ball and he put his head down yeah. and it broke his nose apparently like a mafia in Serbia were ready to do me when I went over there or whatever you, you can take abuse <laughs> but you knew that Seamus Coleman was, had broke his leg yeah and that's what hurt that's yeah. what the abuse honestly I keep saying it it doesn't bother me one bit the abuse it's, it's part and parcel of football most of the time it's keyboard warriors or it's people that you know just want to say what they want to say they want to get a reaction that's fine um, but it was the fact he broke his leg I've done the injury so I know what he's got to go through. I think the, the tackle still looks bad like when you see it, but my conscience is clear in the fact that I know I was going for the ball. I've never been someone to not go for the ball in my life. Um, I remember going after the game to the island change room to try and sort out Martin O'Neill or somebody I could say to, listen, extremely sorry for what happened. Um, could you let me know what hospital he's gone to or anything so I can maybe say sorry or go and see him or anything like that like in, in my mind I just wanted to go and see him and say sorry at the time and I remember Roy Keane coming out Martin O'Neill was already at the press conference and he, he was he was great with me he just said listen I'm not somebody to start with that can uh, lecture you on tackles with the history of my career but he said it's football is what happens he said I've done it on more than one occasion to people and you've got to take what comes with it now and what's ahead of you and answer all the questions yeah but he said the only thing, you know, I will say that Seamus is someone that gets fouled all the time. He constantly nicks the ball past people yeah, and yeah. gets fouled a lot. He said, that's the only consolation I can give you. Um, and I just said, okay, I said, I appreciate the words. I just want to come across to, to would, tell would, you, obviously. Would they not let you into the dressing room? Did you? F- it wasn't, I didn't really want to go in there. It wasn't, you know, I didn't want to just walk into the dressing room. I just, I don't know whether I stupidly thought he might still be there or something. Obviously he's gone to the hospital. But... Um, but I was devastated looking back on it like how it hurt the team at the time we could have won that game and things like that hurt me more um, and it's good to see him back now and he's playing and yeah, if, if I got he, him a five year deal actually yeah nice. I give him a five year deal straight away to try and make light of it but I think if you see a player that doesn't come back exactly that would have exactly, maybe yeah. stayed in the, in the subconscious or whatever exactly yeah. yeah it would yeah and I think um don't get me wrong, it's it's still in the back of my mind now when I go for tackles that I've always been someone that tackles ridiculously hard. And even Joey Jones was somebody that texted me straight after the game to say, keep your chin up, you didn't mean it. Yeah. And don't let it don't let it affect your game, which is something he texted me early on. So on that though, Tails, uh, how do you feel about people who don't who haven't played football, even people who have played football and then their opinion is that he's gone in to, to hurt him? And 
I look at people and think, you, you just don't know, you don't know the hustle and bustle of being no. in an important game, going into no. a tackle where the margins are so tiny. Yeah. Yeah, and they are, exactly. And I think, um, yeah, I see that on TV all the time now, pundits saying stuff, and I'm wondering, you've played the game as well. Like, what's, what's the matter with you saying that stuff? Pundits but seem to forget. It's incredible, yeah. I don't get it. Um, but in the same instance, they get paid to be controversial. So, you know, the way I see it is they get paid to talk, we don't get paid to listen. So they can say what they want as far as I'm concerned it doesn't bother me but I think you know a lot of people were saying to me it come out a lot of things of people saying uh, he's he's not that type of lad yeah. and then people say it doesn't matter if he's that type of lad or not he's done it and to be honest I am the type of lad that goes into tackles hard yeah. I always have been and I've done I've done many tackles since that have been tough tackles on a winger that's how I grew up that's how I was brought up to play as a fullback to be strong and competitive um, but fair I always and thought I've never hurt anybody before and I, I think it's I always thought watching you tales that um, you'd know early doors if you got that first tackle and if you played on the front foot yeah like as soon as someone gets a touch you're on the front foot and in their face you think yeah he's gonna he's gonna he's have on a good it today, today, yeah. you know? and, and, and I'll be honest I maybe lost that edge for a little while after that because subconsciously it was there um, and I was always worried if I was gonna hurt somebody and, and, and how I'd deal with it do you know what I mean yeah I think the best thing that could happen was, and I remember when I broke my leg, my first game back was against QPR in a reserve game away. And I'm not kidding you, honestly, it must have been less than 15 seconds into the game. The ball dropped between me and a QPR player and we smashed the ball at the same time in a tackle. And I think even the whole of our bench just went like that. Like everyone was panicking. And we were both on the floor. We both spun, got up and games carried on. Yeah. And that was also a moment for me to think, do you know what, I'm all right. Yeah. I'm fine, I've had that tackle and my ankle's held up. Yeah. And I think, like, he's obviously going to go through those moments as well where he struggles in his mind of whether it's going to be all right. And I was the same after the tackle. I wouldn't tackle anybody until I had to do a last-ditch tackle against Norwich where Nelson Oliveira was through on goal and it was a last-ditch tackle and I had to lunge and get there and I made the tackle and ended up being a goal-saving situation. And then you realise, actually, do you know what I mean? You're all right. You can still tackle. But it'll, still, it'll, always, it'll forever be in the back of my mind that you can miss time on. Um, but I can honestly say, I was overstretching for that ball, 100%. Uh, not like I haven't before. I think the way, obviously, his legs hit mine has broke it. Otherwise, it could have ended up as me just tripping him up or anything like that. But it's my conscience is clear in the fact that I know I didn't go to hurt him. I'd never ever do that, and, and that's where I can I can honestly say, hand on heart, that it'll never be there. But subconsciously, no one ever wants to hurt anybody. So, yeah, it's not ideal. So before we get you out of here, Tails, because it's been a good one, this is his rival in Guns. You and Guns can really talk shit. There's no, yeah. there's no wonder that he sent you out after that. I should pay you for this session. <laughs> it is therapy. <laughs> this is therapy is for you, therapy. my friend. Um, plans for the future. Gigs as a manager, from a Welsh perspective, no one cares about Aston Villa. No one cares what okay. happens with them. Thank you. With Wales, gigs has come in. Positive? Yeah, massively positive. From the couple of games I've seen them play, I think it's going to be fun for it. It's going to be high pressing. Um, I don't think we exactly know yet what formation we're going to go with. He's had a couple of two, like obviously friendly, so some people aren't there and this, that, and the other. But um, I think it'll be positive. He's played under the best manager in the world. Um, I played with him in the Olympics, so I know him as a person briefly. Obviously, yeah. not not greatly. Um, I think keeping it Welsh was the main thing to do after Seems Cisco. to be growing into the role as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he is growing into the role. And I think um, after Chris Coleman, it had to be Welsh for me, I think. I think it always has to be Welsh. Um, you look at any other nation across the whole of the world, 
it's always one of their own. Um, barring them, they've done it a few times, somebody else, but most of the time, Italy, the manager's always Italian, Spanish, etc. So I think it should, it should always be if it can be. And plans for you then, Tails? It's going to be a bit loud in here now, isn't it? Yeah, a bit rowdy. I know, yeah. Plans for they you, must mate. Know you're, here. you're still, how old are you now? <coughs> 20, 29. 29, so plenty of life left in you, but what? Are you starting to think about life after football? Mm. What, what will you do? Yeah, so there's plans. I'll, um, I'll start my coaching badges now. Um, I've done a few media things um, in the past and, and enjoyed it a little bit. Um, so whether I go down that route, um, whether I think about maybe going with my agency and sort of becoming an agent, because I feel like, like we talked about earlier with the helping young lads, um, I feel like sometimes some agents are doing an injustice to the lads. Um, and because it's money orientated, you know, I'd be hoping as a footballer that after football I won't be chasing money. Yeah. Um, if you do things right, you might end up. But if you're not chasing money, then hopefully you'll do players a better service than the ones that obviously are having to make a big living out of being an agent. So that might be an option. But I think um, any of them options really, I've got to keep open. I just, it's difficult for me to see myself out of football. Really? I don't know how you felt. Um, but sometimes you just want to get away from football. But it's the only thing I know, so in one capacity, whether it's sport of any kind, whether I end up going down a cricket route or something as coach or whatever, but I can't see myself being sat in an office or anything like that. Um, so it'll be something to do with sport. I don't think, and I think also too many players ignore the experience they've had and the fact that they can pass it on. Uh, maybe they're put off with how everything is these days, politically correct and yeah. the amount of problems you can have. But I don't know, what did you think when you finished? I, I know full well. If I didn't speak Welsh, I'd be I'd be struggling. Not struggling. I'd always back myself to find something, but I certainly wouldn't be working in the media the way I am now without the Welsh language. Yeah. I wouldn't have been at the Euros watching every game in the studio, you know, without without the Welsh language. So I'm lucky in that respect. But did you um, plan that? Though? What did you plan when you turned 30, 31? Well, I, I or obviously you had. You I got injured for the whatever, last so, time. Yeah. The day after turning 30. Um, so during that rehab, I kind of knew I'm going to stop playing here. This this is going to finish me off. So started making plans. Uh, spoke to the right people within the media before retiring officially to make sure that when the day did come, there was something. There was something to step into to take your mind off it, you know. But it's not a, it's it's not as if it's a full time job. You're scrambling about trying to find different things like this podcast to try was and that, improve skills. Was that always your idea though, or not? Even like through your mid twenties. As footballers, we always think about it. Oh, what would we do afterwards? It's inevitably going to come to an end. You all have an ideal of like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a property empire of 50 houses and everything will be all right. But it never works out that way. Um, and you need something to stimulate you, don't you? That's the thing. Exactly. We're, st we're still young. The, me the media step, well, t it's another thing I always talk about, how you are defined for what you do between the ages of 20 and 30 or however yeah, long yeah. your career is yeah. for that short period in your life. If you retire at 30 or 35, it's still a long way to go. And no one else cares, all them people before. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you have to find something. And I realise why so many struggle with coping with retirement, you know? Yeah. So as long as you have something to step into that, as you said, stimulates your, your mind, whatever yeah. that is. If it's coaching every day, stepping into the media side or, or working in, in an office, mm. you just need something to keep going, you know? Yeah, you do, yeah. Yeah, 100%. But at least you know that you know, 24 hours in a day, 12 hours of that day, you can focus on your hair, you know, and really yeah. making it look nice and shiny. Does it look shiny, yeah? Yeah, it looks, 
looks slick. I don't know why it looks shiny. So this literally... You've been watching Love Island, haven't you? Oh, no, I haven't, no. Yes, you have. There's a, there's oh, a lad please. called what a, You're not watching it? Do you watch Love Island? Yeah, of course I do. Who, who doesn't? Listen, it's 2018 now. My, people, wife, people, my wife watches it, yeah. Yeah, so you don't don't even try and look at me and pretend you haven't watched a couple of episodes. You know who she told me. She told me. There, she was, a, there was a girl on there that said something. What did she say? She didn't know what earlobes were. And we are going to make these people famous. We are going to give these people airtime. People study for nine years to be doctors and lawyers to make There's a decent a amount of money. Is there a doctor, a doctor in there? In there? But talking about earlobes, I actually Googled as you were talking earlier, Dennis Smith. Right. Yeah, Look at yeah. this picture. How yeah. big is yeah. he? Yeah, fake cup. He's got yeah. huge hair loads. <laughs> really? But yeah. Love Island, I think your missus has turned around to you and said, hey, I want you to get your hair like E.L. Well, this has been since January, so. Yeah, she, maybe she maybe knew. Maybe E.L. She knew who's going in. Or maybe she knows him. Like hey. She could be going in next. Where is she today? I don't know. And if she ends up pregnant after you've, uh, you've had your bits that chopped. That <laughs> should be Orca. <laughs> Tails, pleasure spending time with you, mate. Good nice to, to catch see you, up. Mate. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for the, um, <laughs> yeah, for counselling. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, mate. Thanks, mate. Neil Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I certainly did. Good catching up with him. Beautiful little brunch in the nice pub in Solihull. Beautiful weather, beautiful company, a beautiful wig on his head. Wow, obviously um, the hair growth of his mates Ashley Williams, Joe Allen, there's been a bit of jealousy, a bit of resentment just brewing up over the last season, so he's gone for it himself. But um, Neil Taylor, as open and honest as always, didn't expect anything less. So brilliant catching up with him. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Subscribe, uh, download future episodes, tell a friend to go back and listen to, uh, to past episodes. Make sure that this, uh, this long man army keeps on growing. Till next time, ta-da.